Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is Watchman Talk, a series of conversations with Israeli military, intelligence, diplomatic and security experts and practitioners. And we are very pleased and honored to uh, host uh, retired Major General Yair Golan, the former vice chief of staff of the Israeli military, as well as uh, the holder of uh, many other important positions. Thank you for coming. Thank you um, for inviting me. You know, General, um, this is the land of prophets, but also of uh, prophets without honor. Uh, people uh, whose prophecies were um, eventually found uh, to be uh, on the money. However, they themselves were not honored for it. Um, and uh, on several occasions, um, this is what happened to you, um, uh, most recently politically, but this is not the focus of our conversations. And the question is, does the Israeli military teach you um, to be a very respectful officer to your superiors, to um, uh, voice your opinions, but only in-house, uh, not, uh, not be um, too... Uh, voluble about them, uh, especially not outside to the media or to uh, the Knesset. Um, when a young officer looks at you and sees that you were right most of the time uh, in your predictions and warnings and suffered from it, what lesson should this officer get from it? Hopefully, speak up. Speak up. You have a voice, and your voice is important. And no one, truly no one, uh, you know, has uh, this uh, attribute to think better than you. And the higher ups, they no, know better. No, they have I more. Know, I know, I know. You know, when I was conscripted in, in, in 1980, yes, I look at the higher echelons as kind of, you know, they, 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 demigods. They, they cannot make a mistake. But this is so untrue. Uh, yes, uh, people are people are people, and even the higher echelons, they do terrible mistakes, and therefore uh, you need to take this historical lesson and speak up. If you explore an issue, if you have the right knowledge, if you have the right experience, if you are fully confident concerning what you are talking about, Yes, speak up. Come on. You know, if you want a healthy system, you need people who wish to speak up and to express their thoughts about professional issues. This is how you treated your junior officers or yeah, people subordinate all the time, you? all the time. I used to say to my subordinate officers that, look, you are not threatening me. 
I'm I'm a well confident confident person and I know myself and I know from my experience that in many cases you are right and I'm wrong and it's okay. It doesn't make me uh, It doesn't threaten you, yeah. Exactly. So so um in the Israeli system, in, in most militaries the highest rank uh, is a four-star general. Israel, as a poor country, um, <laughs> at, at least uh, used yeah. to be uh, modest, um, only uh, has one three-star general at, uh, at any time. Yeah. This is the chief of staff. And all others are either two-star generals or one-star. Yeah. And um, in other militaries, a division commander is a two-star, a major general. In Israel, it's a brigadier general. So before an officer such as yourself, having fulfilled two important positions as division commander on the Lebanese border and in the West Bank, before you could have taken command of a territorial command, in your case, Northern Command, you had to uh, undertake uh, a more junior position uh, in importance in the Israeli system, though not in rank, and this is home front command. Uh, were you happy to take it? Um, and it was wh- fantastic. Wh- what have you done with it? I came to the Home Front Command after the Second Lebanon War. Uh, the command was in a terrible situation, terrible condition, uh, low morale. Uh, and for me, it was a great challenge. And it was about learning a new profession. And it was fantastic. You know, I used to say that in the first year and a half of my uh, assignment, I learned something new every day. And since then, and till the end of my tenure, I learned something new every week. It's fantastic. It's so interesting. The interface with the civilian world. With civilians, with NBC warfare, with... um, with mayors, with the local government. NBC, including nuclear, Israel prepared for for a nuclear attack? For everything, for everything. And I I can tell you that for me, it was fascinating. I learned so many new things. And by the way, it allows me to to be much more knowledgeable, you know, concerning uh, civilian life, because I used to work with mayors, you know, how to prepare a city or town for a war, for a disaster, for natural disaster. Food, water, transportation, yes, infrastructure. Yes, every, everything, everything. I visited any infrastructure location in Israel. How many people have in Israel such an experience? But um, uh, regardless of the effort that you and, yeah. and your um, officers and the whole command invested, the enemies know that this is Israel's soft underbelly, the vulnerability of the population, not only uh, regarding casualties, but also that they will put pressure on the government to shorten the war before war aims have been achieved. How can you solve this problem? In a way, I disagree with this notion. You know, I think Israeli citizens are absolutely supportive and cooperative with the government. And as long as they think that the government fulfill its missions, well, they are totally committed and they are 
they are willing to, to undertake all difficulties of war in a very patient manner. And this is unbelievable. The civilian population, in fact, is much stronger than we used to think about civilians. They are okay. They will give us whatever we need. All we need in the military is to fulfill our missions and to beat our enemies. That's the, that's the story. Strangely enough, um, you are right. The Israeli society, uh, at least uh, through its media and other expressions, is more concerned with military casualties than with civilian casualties in the rear. Unbelievable, because, because it's about our kids. The soldiers are our kids. Because it's universal military training, not universal, because many people, especially Haredim, do not... But still, there are so many Israelis that have this military experience, and they tell themselves, you know, as civilians, all right, I know that I can stand, you know, these civilian difficulties, but what is really bother me is the destiny of my son or my daughter, and this is the issue. Now, the Humfront Command uh, was set up after 1991 when yeah. Israel did not take active part in the Iraq war, but was on the receiving end of missiles uh, from Iraq. And the original intention was uh, to uh, grow the uh, command and then transfer it to the police or another agency. What's your view? Well, it's a mistakeful thinking about the Home Front Command. Um, no other organization but the military is willing to or have the capability to deal with emergencies. There is a, the, 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 the basic idea is that the most fitted organization in the nation is the one who is responsible for massive emergencies. This is the military. Uh, that's true for Israel. That's true for the National Guard in the United States. That's true for Switzerland or Germany on the UK. It doesn't matter. No other organization could do it better. Therefore, the military is also responsible for natural disasters. And when I visited Japan after the Fukushima affair, after the tsunami, the one who really handled the business there in the most, you know, devastated areas was the Japanese military. Uh, when I entered uh, China after the earthquake of 2008, the one who really handled the situation there was the military. You also sent aid and rescue missions abroad yeah. when natural disasters hit many places around uh, the globe. Yes, and, and you see that no other organization couldn't handle, you know, a, a massive, you know, group of, you know, a, a medical group with, um, rescue with rescue teams without this military organization because you need people to, to be very... Um, dedicated. With a, with a, not just dedicated, with a very uh, mission-like approach, which is... Military. military approach. So, so, to, to so the Air Force flies you there. Yeah. The engineers uh, know how to dig uh, exactly. from under. Uh, even even uh, working military dogs, which uh, yeah. Israel uh, uh, employs, help. 
Um, and during your tenure as um, uh, home front commander, Iron Dome uh, started having its amazing uh, success. Uh, again, the the uh, joint work between the Air Force in early warning and uh, in yeah. air defense and the home front command is one of the hallmarks of the Israeli military. That, that's true. Um, it was very tough at the beginning because the Air Force didn't want to cooperate. And we told them, look, we need to work together. You know, what, you are, you do, what are you going to do with all the intelligence and knowledge? What was their rationale? Why not share it? Because, you know, we have our own shop, yeah. core, and we are close, and what we are doing is classified, and we have no intention to expose it to the civilians. But... Uh, I, I think that I managed to convince them that it's okay. We need to work together. There's no other way. And the minute they understood it, uh, they did it fantastically. You know, it, it was just a, a, a true friendship between Home Front Command in the Air Force in an unbelievable way. The, the uh, Air Force uh, commanding general in part of uh, your period, uh, Major General Amir Eshel, then turned around and started to warn the population not to expect such a high rate of intercepts the next time around because it was too good to be true. And if Israel yeah. is hit by barrages or swarms, um, the um, uh, intercept missiles may not be enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. And I think we need to prepare the population like they don't have Iron Dome. And we need to, um, to train local governments and municipalities in, for, for deal with the greatest challenge they could imagine during war. And I think this is the right this is the right way to prepare the Israeli home front. But you know we are not you know, dealing you with need, you need to deal with true emergencies, and you you cannot rely on you know Iron Dome and say all right I don't have to prepare because I have this you know Iron Dome above me. It, it doesn't true. But we're not dealing with with uh, generic people or with teaching um, home front uh, 101. Um, because these are Israelis yeah. of, of uh, a certain uh, character and attitude. David Ben-Gurion, the founding father of Israel, later to become prime minister and defense minister, emulating Winston Churchill's model in Britain in World War II, was in London during the Blitz. Yeah. And um, he uh, saw the British people stiff upper lip and all of that, uh, stay calm and carry on, all the cliches. And, and, and he feared that the Israelis will not behave in the same manner. Um, are you uh, assured or reassured that when um, an emergency of huge proportions strikes, Israelis will know how to behave, to follow the rules? Yeah. You need to trust the people in order to get their, own, their, their trust. You know, there's no other way. No other way. A it's trust way. for trust. And if you want them to be 
with stamina, with uh, you know, this ability to stand for and carry on, you need to believe that they could do it and you need to train them and we need to trust them. And I never ever uh, got disappointed by civilians I train. Now, um, yeah. you um, were in charge of, uh, of Northern uh, Command. Uh, most of the uh, recent uh, chiefs of staff of the Israeli uh, military um, came from Northern Command as their general officer uh, position. Uh, we see now going back General Kohavi, General Eisenkot, General Gantz, uh, General Ashkenazi. Um, most of the of the recent uh, ones, and originally this was uh, after the uh, peace with Egypt. Uh, this was the most coveted position for a general because if war were to came, it will be with Syria, and if not, with Hezbollah in Lebanon. Lebanon. Yeah. But during your time uh, in the last decades. Syria uh, was undergoing a civil war, and uh, Hassan Nasrallah, the leader of uh, Hezbollah, was apparently deterred. What were your priorities as you uh, headed Northern Command? Well, training for fighting the Hezbollah, that's for sure. Uh, I could say that uh, without the civil war in Syria, Hezbollah uh, tried to warm up the Lebanese front in 2012, but the minute uh, uh, Rouhani put a pressure on Nasrallah to be more involved in the civil war in Syria, they turned their mind to the Syrian front and they start to send the, you know, thousands of people from the Hezbollah to help the uh, Assad regime to cope with the rebellion. And gained much valuable experience by doing that. Yes, yes, that's true. But I would say that, you know, I trained, the, well, I prepared the Northern Command fighting Hezbollah. And at the same time, I was uh, truly focused on the civil war in Syria uh, in order to create the most, uh, I would say, um, supportive, uh, condition along the border in you know to, to, in in such an unstable situation, and I think I, I'm very proud by the fact that we were managed to get cooperation from Syrians group along the border for many years, uh, and at the same time uh, we did the right moral issue uh, to treat the casualties. Uh, in a saving life manner. And therefore, I think that we, we did well uh, along the Lebanese border and at the same time along the Syrian border. It is now uh, public domain that uh, during that time, uh, then Prime Minister Netanyahu and then Defense Minister Barak ordered the military to prepare for action against Iran. Many people in the higher command uh, were not for it, of course. Uh, they would have uh, saluted and obeyed. Your predecessor at Northern Command, uh, General Eisenkot, uh, at one time wrote the prime minister and defense minister that although this is not his sector, um, obviously the Northern Command will be impacted uh, 
by it, and he wanted to be on record as opposing it or objecting to it, dissenting from it. What was your position, and do you think that the Northern Front would have erupted had Israel acted against Iran at that time? Well, I think that uh, General Eisenkot was right. Uh, I commanded at that time the Home Front Command, and I thought the same, that we should not attack Iran, not because we cannot do it, because you know how you start it, you have no clue how to finish such a war. And I was not sure at that time that it's so, you know, it's so, you know, it's not... It's crucial. Not, it's not crucial. We didn't reach at that time uh, a decisive point in time that we must do it. Uh, so therefore, I think uh, if the, the risk is so high, uh, the need for international support and mainly uh, American support is crucial. And therefore, you know, just doing, you know, independently and attacking uh, uh, Iran, I thought at that time that this is irrational attitude toward the challenge we have in Iran. And I, I the first to admit that Iran is a true and a unique uh, challenge for Israel. Now, this, this debate uh, reached its peak between 2010 and 2012, and then as President Obama started his negotiations, first secretly in Oman, and then openly with other parties um, uh, in Vienna, you, uh, as a vice chief of staff already, uh, you stepped up from Northern Command, um, you... Uh, firstly, saw the JCPOA, the uh, nuclear deal, being formulated. And as vice chief of staff uh, in charge of both um, force buildup and operational uh, planning, you were actually um, heading the Iran file. What was your position when there was a debate, which Netanyahu, of course, uh, was the public figure of, of one school of thought going to Congress against Obama's wishes, uh, operating against the deal. And others thought that while an imperfect deal, it is preferable to no deal. What was your position? Well, it's, you know, in a way, it's also a political issue, not just, you know, professional issue. But I would say that all of us, uh, not just myself, all of us, all uh, the high-rank officers, uh, the guys from the Mossad and other agencies, we all thought that, that the agreement is imperfect, but at the same time is good for Israel. It's much, it's much better than anything else. And therefore, we thought that we need to take all advantages out of this agreement, and at the same time, working with the Americans, to uh, shape the next agreement, the next agreement, because the agreement, in fact, cover a period of 10 to 15 years. And had sunset clauses. Yeah, and we thought that, all right, let's take all advantages out of this agreement, and then, you know, at working with the Americans, not waiting for, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, no, immediately working with the Americans how to shape the next deal in the most uh, uh, favorable uh, manner for Israel. But uh, this, is, this is one level. The other level is that if the threat is being put off for several years, 
it frees money and time for focusing on other priorities which the IDF had. Exactly. And, 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 and get some compensation package from the Americans. Everything is true. And I would say the following. For Israel, to fight Iran alone, more than 1,000 kilometers to the east, it's almost impossible. We are not a superpower. We need help to know. We need to understand our limitations. And it will not be a single strike like in Syria in it's 2007 not, or Iraq, not. 1981. It's certainly not. And therefore, you know, to conduct uh, a kind of attrition war with Iran, uh, you know, along such a distance, well, you need to have the American with you, and you need to work with them in order to prepare such an operation. And I can tell you that as a, as a vice chief of staff, I work uh, intensively with my American counterparts in order to, to, to establish something uh, operationally. And I think we move forward in a very good manner. Unfortunately, I think that Netanyahu, by his attitude, was a kind of, a, of obstacle concerning our ability to move forward with the American military establishment. Because the political echelon of the Obama administration... They just stop everything. In a certain point, uh, my counterparts told me, look, General, we like you very much. And we like to, you know, to talk, you know, this, to have these Iranian talks with you. But this is not our policy right now. In the uh, slightly more than a minute that we have, two unfair questions, but because you are used to speak up, you're the right person to ask them. First of all, you were passed over for chief of staff for Ramatkal um, for um, reasons uh, which were not related to your uh, professional uh, standing. What would you have done had you been the chief of staff um, seven to three years ago? I think that we need to concentrate our efforts in order to have a decisive land forces. And I, I'm not so sure whether we prepare the land forces in the right manner. Uh, I think that next war uh, will, be, will be determined, the, the, the outcome of the war will be determined on land. It's not new. It's just like, you know, it's like going back to old... Biblical times. Yeah, but it's about the land. Okay. And uh, we need to be there in, in a much better prepared land forces. Last question. You went into politics. Other journalists went into politics. Are you really uh, made up for politics? Or does your experience tell you that uh, this is a totally... Um, different profession? Uh, Amir, I follow my heart. And my heart is in the politics right now because I want to influence the destiny of Israel uh, as a, the homeland of the Jewish people at the and at the same time, democratic, free, and equal state. So Major General, this is my mission. Major General retired Yair Golan from home front to homeland. Thank you very much for two very, very thought-provoking conversations. This has been um, Watchmen Talk on TV7 News. For the time being, shalom from Jerusalem.
Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.